Claws the eyes and pull like a dog. <laughs> and a new Irish record for Phil Healy, 22.99. Christy Cooney hands over the Sam Maguire Cup to Graham Canty, Cork All-Ireland Champions for the seventh time ever. Hello and welcome to the Star Sport Podcast. My name is Jack McCarran of the Southern Star and I'm joined, as always, by Star Sport Editor Kieran McCarty. On today's podcast, we're chatting to the man Ireland captain Johnny Sexton still has nightmares about. Bantry's Fineen Witterly was enjoying a breakout season at Thoman Park before sport came to a screeching halt recently and he spoke to Kieran a little earlier about his ascent to the Munster first team squad. But before we hear from Finneen, we have some exciting news to bring you all. Close your eyes and pull like a dog. <laughs> Noel Feely can wait no more and now he urges Boomerang to go and try and seal the deal in the champion hurdle. A new Irish record for Phil Healy, 22.99. There it is, and it's all over. And Cork are the All Ireland football champions for 2010. But it's a silver medal for Ireland. The first Irish medal ever at the Olympic Games. A young crew, this is only the beginning. For Gary O'Donovan and Paul O'Donovan. Today we managed to bring Sam Wolf and we're totally delighted for ourselves, but more importantly for his people to come. Yes, from next week, we're launching a new series across the paper, website and podcast where we're going in search of the best in the West. We want to find out West Cork's favourite ever sports person. Kieran, you might be able to share some of the details with our listeners now. Yeah, Jack, it's kind of, it's aptly titled Best in the West. And like you said, we're, we're looking for West Cork's greatest sports person. So what we're doing, we're going back over the last 50 years we're going to keep the last 50 years um, otherwise you could have 32 people in the running for this there's been such a depth of talent in West Cork so in not this week's Southern Star but in next week's Southern Star which is Thursday week we will be unveiling and announcing the shortlist of 16 local sports people who are in the reckoning and the running for, for the best in the West crown and how it will work then we will do a live draw on our podcast next week and we're going to kick it off with Twitter polls after that uh, and we'd whittle it down from 16 to 8 to 4 then to the grand final for the top two West Cork sports people as voted on by our readers listeners and and the great people of Twitter um, we'd be left with two and then we'd crown our greatest ever sports person so I'm fierce excited Jack to be quite honest we'd, um, with our pitch perfect competition there a couple of weeks ago and that was that was hugely successful Um kind of tweet impressions alone there was 1.31 million tweet impressions so that just shows the I suppose the appeal that that pitch perfect competition had and the beauty of best in the west is it's all the sports 
So think of your GA, your rugby, your soccer, your your rowboating, your motorsport, your athletics, your everything. Um, we could have West Cork sports people from those sports in the last 16. So going to be a bit of fun over the next couple of weeks um, with all of our favourites. We can't say who's in the wrecking now because we have that chart list. It's in a it's in a safe and it's locked and it's been put away till Thursday week, Southern Star. But um, it's the creme de la creme of West Cork sports people. And, and you know, Jack, kind of the hardest decision here has been leaving people out of this last 16. And it's caused a good couple of arguments with the, I suppose, the kind of the judging committee at the moment. Kind of we all have our thoughts on who should be in and who shouldn't be in. So um, I think the last 16 are are the best of the best and they're certainly the best in the West. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you say it's been locked away in a safe, but um, it's still it's still changing every now and then. I've seen you go back to that safe and open it up with your key and the names have been changing as the last few days have passed because obviously you've been canvassing the great and good of West Cork Sport to get their thoughts on it so yeah i'm really excited to see what the final list is and i'm sure there'll be arguments and debates across social media over the coming months but it is really exciting we're going to be chatting to people from various areas of west cork sport and they're going to make their cases for their preferred candidate but as kieran said it's going to be voted on by the great west cork public and hopefully by this time five weeks we'll have Consensus on who West Cork's greatest sports person is from the last 50 years. And just quickly then, Kieran, before we go to hear from Finian Witcherly, the Munster rugby player, you wanted to touch on some of the great work being done by GA clubs across the region in terms of their charity fundraising since the COVID lockdown. Yeah, Jack, um, just think obviously with the GA season, it's looking more and more likely with what's come out over the last couple of days with John. John Hoare um, last weekend and in this the Club Players um, Association survey which kind of highlighted that a lot of players are kind of they're very slow and reluctant to get back in and playing GAD uh, this year we don't know what the rest of the year holds for GA clubs but I have to say that the, the, the charity fundraising work of West Cork GA clubs has been fantastic the last couple of weeks and I just think the, the local GA clubs deserve a huge round of applause and a lot of recognition for, for what they've done in terms of raising vital funds for various charities and causes in the in the last number of weeks. I'm just going to list off a couple of, of quick ones there, Jack, just to give our listeners a flavour of what the local clubs have been up to. Kilbritton GA Club have raised nearly €8,000 for Pieta House. O'Donovan Rossa have raised €3,500 for Pieta House. Bantry, G, Bantry Blues GA Club have raised over 11,000 for Pieta House. Donny GA Clubs uh, um, have raised 12,000 for the Menway Community Hospital and Pieta House. Castlehaven had their their fundraising day last Sunday and they've raised a huge 14,000 for Skibbereen Community Hospital and Bantry General Hospital. Island Rovers ran a Wild Atlantic Way Challenge and they've fundraised over 8,000 euro for the Friends of Coaction in Skibbereen. Kilmeen Kilbury GA Camogie teams raised nearly 7,500 for Clonakilty Community Hospital. Um, a couple of weekends ago, Clonakilty GA Club's Adult Men's Club, the Ladies Club, the Camogie Club and the Underage Club all came to- together and they raised over 10,000 for the Clon, the Clon Carda Fund. Ballinascarty GA Club have raised over 6,000 for Clonakilty Community Hospital. St Oliver Plunkett's brought in over 2,000 for Pieta House. Adjigal GA Club in Vera have raised over 7,000 for Marymount Hospice. And there's a lot of other GA clubs involved in fundraisers too, Jack. So, like I said, 
the local J clubs are really shining, um, really doing their their bit for these great charities and local communities, and they all I think they just deserve a, a huge congrats and um, say to say well done to everyone who supported their local clubs too, because even in these tough times, it's great to see that the I suppose the the great and the goodness of the GA coming to the top. So just well done to all involved. Thanks for listening to the Star Sport Podcast, the only podcast dedicated to all things sport in West Cork. Don't forget to pick up this Thursday Southern Star newspaper, including our award-winning sports section with everything a West Cork sports fan could want. In shops across West Cork and online from anywhere in the world via www.southernstar.ie forward slash e-paper. The Southern Star and the Star Sport Podcast, number one for sport in West Cork. Welcome back to the Star Sport Podcast. And as we mentioned at the top of the show, we're going to hear from Bantry's Finian Witcherly. Now, he had a really enjoyable chat with Kieran a little earlier on about a wide, wide variety of subjects. So, Kieran, before we hear from Finian, you maybe just tell us a little bit about what you chatted about and how he's been dealing with the lockdown. Uh, Finian Witcherly, like we know, Jack, is probably one of the the, the great West Cork rugby products of, of recent times. He's a he's a young man from Bantry who's gone all the way to Munster and um, he's kind of he's blazing a trail for others to follow him. So when I decided to catch up with Finine, it was just almost a chat about his journey from a from a young fella kind of who played GA with St. Columns and rugby with Bantry Rugby Club, how he ended up in Munster and just so that young kids across West Cork can listen to his story and see that it, that it is possible for for young boys and girls from West Cork to kind of to play for Munster and to play for Ireland like Finheen has. He's a um, former Ireland under twenty two. So it was a brilliant chat, Jack. I really enjoyed it. Finheen is just a great talker. Um, he's um, just explained how he got to where he is. We talked about his tussle with Johnny Sexton back in in Christmas twenty eighteen at Toman Park when Munster took on Leinster and. He just said, Trinine just said, it's just another challenge in his eyes. Um, I just think he's a great attitude. He's um, a great attitude towards rugby, how he approaches the game and so on. So, um, no, it was just just good to catch up with him. Um, he's on, at home in Bantry these days with his younger brother, Josh, there as well. And Josh is another kind of highly rated rugby prospect. So, um, I think people will enjoy this chat. He's a good fellow to chat to. And this is what he said. We're delighted to be joined um, by Munster star Finian Witchley on this week's Star Sport podcast. Um, your first time on the p- podcast, Finian. Welcome. Cheers, Kieran. Thanks for having me. Um, we're going to go right back to the start, I suppose, before we talk about where you are at Munster right now. I want to take you back to when you were a kid, um, back to your, your, your family home in Bantry. It was a rugby mad household by all accounts. Your, your father, Florence, was heavily involved in rugby at the start. Yeah, that's where I'm back now. I'm back in actually West Cork, obviously, because there's no training. So I just said I'd come back here uh, for a couple of weeks. Um, yeah, so I, obviously I grew up with it. Uh, I played since I was six, but when I was four or five, we were just throwing around the ball in the outside in the garden and things like that. And all my my older played, and uh, Josh obviously plays, and my two younger sisters, we all, everyone played, really, to be honest. Um, but the kind of first started off was uh, Dad was playing with the junior team in Bantry, and uh, before that he was playing in Skibbereen. And when he came over, there was actually no underage. And obviously, I had a couple of older brothers, and he was very keen for them to play rugby. And uh, him and a couple of his friends, uh, Eugene McCarthy and uh, a fellow called Philip Walters, who was a few others, they all came together. They had sons around the same age, and they decided just to set up the underage, the underage team. Then, and that's how it kind of kicked on. Like, and 
obviously as a crew, like I mean, my older brothers would only played with five or six lads probably in their team, and as I got on, then it was probably ten or twelve at training, and they might be thirteen or fourteen show up for a match, and we would have to, you know, borrow a few lads from the GA team and things like that on the way. We pick up lads on the way to matches, like you know, that's the way it was. And now, I mean, there's, it's growing continuously. I mean, the, like when I left probably to go to Ross Gray that time, it was probably, you know, max 13 at training sessions and you'd 15 or 16 for a match. You just had about enough numbers for a match. Um, but nowadays, I mean, there's about 20 lads at training or 15 or 20 lads at training and there's 25 or 30 uh, lads traveling to matches and they're dying to play. Like, so it's, it's just a different era. Like, you know, like for me, it was... The right time to go, but I suppose if, if if I had the same amount of lads training, I might have never left. You know that kind of way. Like there was better numbers and things like that, and there was a bigger interest, a bigger following here. Like I might have stayed here for longer. Like you know, can you go back, let's say, kind of ten years ago, kind of um, and a, a young fella kind of grew up around around Bentry, and I know you played with St. Columns. That was a time, I suppose, Kenty laid um from Bentry Blues laid Cork to All Ireland, um, and GA is such a big part of West Cork. But what was the attraction of rugby for you? Was it the fact that you were growing up in, in a rugby household? And like you said, your father Florence was so heavily involved. You're in a big family and you're all playing rugby. Was it that that drew you towards a sport or what do you think, Fideen? 100%, yeah. I mean, look, I don't know if I'd be as, as heavily involved uh, as I was, except for dad. Like, and, and to be fair, mom as well. Like, mom used to love going to the matches and they went to the European finals like both years, 2006, 2008. And, you know, there was just a massive buzz around the house for it. Like, and obviously, my older brother's playing. Like, we used to, we used to just be passing around outside. And I suppose that just grew my interest. Like, you know, I, I gradually grew up kind of, I think, in around 10, around 10, 10 or 11. Like, I really wanted to. I was watching so much rugby at the time, watching all the matches and watching, you know, Paul O'Connell and Nicole O'Callaghan and Stringer and all these guys. And then I kind of want, I just wanted to be like them. Like, you know, I almost wanted to just grow up and be like them playing in Tone Park in the big days. Like, and, being a part of such a, a, a massive thing like you know because obviously when you're younger and you're down here you don't really get involved in it as much like you know and then like there's, there's a couple of us a couple of families uh were kind of interested in the time like you know and I kind of grew off them and I kind of was watching obviously you know the, the matches and things like that and dad was massive following and I suppose it just kind of over time just built up the interest and built up the kind of crave to be a professional kind of eventually you know um, we have to mention your GA career. You obviously played with St. Cottom's, like I mentioned earlier, for up until you were under 16, I think. And I remember doing a piece for the Star a couple of years ago, and Emmett Vaughan said you were the first fella he knew that brought protein shakes to underage games. He said you were the, the model pro even, even back then. Kind of going back to the guy, like how much, how much did, did you enjoy playing football and hurling with Cottom's? I loved it. Like, I loved it. I loved it. I mean, it was just, it was literally just too, too much remote for mom, like, and, and things like that. Like, you know, and dad is up kind of working and stuff. Mom would be dropping us into town for uh, a training session with Bantry, and then you'd be back out, you know, for a match at seven o'clock uh, with St. Columns. And, you know, then we started getting into, you know, we started getting into the Munster kind of setup. I mean, I was under 17s at Munster, and I'd have a training session, you know, on a Saturday morning, maybe, or, uh, you know, Friday, or whatever, Friday evening, like, and, I drive the whole way to to Limerick for you know a training session. You will come back down then and play a football match and on a Monday and then go back up to Limerick on a Tuesday for another training session or come back down in for a a, a bantry match on the weekend. Like and it just it didn't really work out. Like it, it was just too much road. Like and I kind of for myself uh, I wanted to make the decision anyway because I kind of felt I was dipping into too much things in a way. Like you know I enjoyed everything. I enjoyed playing both, but. I just think if I was, if I, I kind of wanted the rugby more than I would have wanted the football or hurling at the time. Like, 
Now we're going back to your kind of your 14, 15, 16, you were playing both sports, but you were very driven even back then. Um, Eugene McCarthy told me a story before about you, you broke your wrist, was it on a Saturday and by the Monday you were trying to get back in the gym and you were asking him, what can I do? But did you even notice yourself back then that you were just mad for role? Like you just, you just wanted to train, you wanted to get better, you wanted to do whatever you could to kind of take those next couple of steps to get you to where you wanted to be. I suppose, yeah, but we, there was actually a good gang of us at that stage too. Like, I remember there was, you know, I can just name a few, like, uh, a few lads I'd be close to, like Dylan Murphy and Kevin Holland and Kieran O'Sullivan and Ian Hurley. There was a few, you know, there was four or five of us that were very driven in there, like, and I kind of, I built off them. I was also just very hungry myself, I suppose. Um, and obviously with the whole hand thing, that was just, it was kind of just, probably a bit madness, like, it was just kind of, I was kind of almost bored, like, you know, I was so disappointed, obviously, with the injury, and I kind of just went and be doing something to keep my mind occupied, like, um, and I suppose, yeah, I just kind of drew off them, like, I kind of drew off those other lads as well, because they were very dedicated and very hungry to, to be the best as well, like, we were all kind of in that underage kind of cadet system with Munster, and Eugene was obviously our coach with them, and he was obviously the coach with Bantry, so it was very easy for us, like, to kind of link with Munster, kind of the, the Munster ins and outs with Eugene, but also, like, you know, we could get extras off him, like, in kind of he kind of pushed us along and helped us a lot, like, you know. When you went into that, show, went into that gym on, on the Monday to kind of want him to do extra work, what did Eugene say? Was he actually there when you went in? Did he say, Jesus, Fineen, would you just go home? And you're, or did he let you work away in different bits? Or Oh, uh, yeah. Like, I mean, so, I mean, it was actually Frank Conroy. Uh, he was our, he was our gym instructor at the time, like, you know, and he was very much about stretching and things like that. Like, I wasn't very flexible, so... Basically, what he was to say to me was that, like, you know, we're not going to be able to do a whole pile of, you know, press-ups or bending that, obviously, with my hands. So, it was just, for me, like, for that couple of weeks that I was injured, it was very much, like, just stretching, and which is very important when you're younger as well, like, you know, because obviously playing so much sports, and you kind of forget to stretch and warm down and cool down and, you know, just become a bit more flexible in yourself, like, and that's what I kind of focus on for those couple of weeks, is just mainly just stretching and trying to build up my lower body as much as the upper body is, like. Your kind of your your adventure then, or your career path took you on to Ross Gray, like you mentioned earlier, kind of playing in, in the, the Linster Schools Cup above, and then into the Munster kind of scene. Um, just talk a bit about that pathway through from from a young fella from from outside Bantry to Munster. Kind of was it hard at the time? Was it easy at the time? It was difficult. Like I mean, I think uh, I was in the in the club system at the time, and obviously there was a big decision. Do I? Uh, do I move across to the, the school system and, and leave the club system because I obviously love playing with Munster Clubs and I love the whole system and I love the summer there and I kind of came to a stage there where it was like if I if I played the the, pro, the Interpros at the end of that summer with the clubs I wouldn't be able to play with the Linster schools then in, in Ross Gray and sure I mean if you're going if you're going to school like that like you can't really you can't really not play the rugby so it was kind of for me it was a difficult decision just to go look I'm going to I'm going to miss the Interpros this year and, and just put the head down and try to try to play as much rugby as I could in, in Ross Gray that year. And so delighted I did. I mean, I, we won the Senior Cup, obviously, that year and the year after we got to the final. And I don't think without that exposure, I don't know if I'd be where I am today. Like, and I loved the school and I loved how much rugby we played. And I just found that, like, it kind of it's slotted, in, it slotted in so easily for me. I kind of fitted in there so easily. But the most hard decision was probably just was leaving behind the club's system and leaving behind the club interpros after training for the whole summer with the team. And having to make that kind of selfish decision, uh, obviously with mom and dad, kind of helped me with that decision as well at the time. You know, the idea was that if I go up to Rescue, I'll play way more games that didn't just three games at the end of the summer, and hopefully that will kind of spur me on to get back into the 19s and 20s, which it did eventually, like, you know. 
Because if you go back to that time where you made that decision to go to Ross Gray, or probably looking from a West Cork point of view, Darren Sweetnam was the only kind of local lad involved in, in the Munster setup. Like now, it, it, it's a different scene totally with yourself and Josh and John Hodnett and Jack Crowley's there, and obviously Liam and even Gavin Coombs. But <clears> as a young fella around 15, 16, to kind of to make that decision to go to Ross Gray, kind of like we said there, the, the path wasn't as clear as it was now. So when you look at it, someone like Darren Sweetnam who proved okay, you can be from West Cork and you can get to make uh, an impression with Munster. Like, was it someone like Darren who showed it was possible for, for someone from West Cork to play at that stage? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, like, look, Darren at the time was obviously thriving and he was, getting, he, was, he was in the academy and things of that. Like, he was pushing into the senior team and uh, obviously watching them and uh, watching him like a fella from uh, the man with to, to push through and, and to making a, a kind of burst on the scene. But... Uh, for me, a kind of my grandfather actually went to, to Ross Gray, and when the opportunity kind of arose to go up there, and uh, obviously with mom and dad's support, like to get me there and things like that, like they made a lot of sacrifices to have me there, and uh, it was kind of a no-brainer in ways. Like you know, the, probably the kind of hardest decision was just being uh, missing the pros, but after that kind of decision was uh, was left behind, I was delighted and really excited, like to be up there. Like you know, it was just a change, like it's something different, and it was. Uh, it was obviously tough, like for the first couple of months, like being away from home, like three weeks at a time, and just constantly training and playing. And but I noticed myself, like my personality and my my drive for the sport, like just only only increased. Like it was it was obviously it was a certain level, but as soon as like I had just a constant uh, training regime, you know, gym, uh, running, uh, rugby after school, and and then study as well. It just it slotted in very much my personality, and I was I I really enjoyed it. Like what um, I think probably from uh, probably from the main difference probably up there was just the numbers of training like you know it was just way more competitive like you know like rather than kind of you know five or six lads in a circle just kind of popping your own ball and trying to make as much as much as you could kind of leeway you can't really do a whole pile with five or six lads at a training session whereas when I was in Ross Gray I remember for the first year there was probably 30 lads at a training session and you might have five or six different seconds that you're all competing against and you're trying to be the best and you're trying to start and you're all going to looking over your shoulder and that that only improves you as a player like you know then obviously then kind of you said uh, Ross Gray went, went quite well for you went very well in fact that opened the door back into the Munster scene then so what was the step so from Ross Gray into Munster and how did you kind of move through the ranks there uh, yeah so then uh, obviously um, it kind of came to the end of that year and um, I kind of decision whether to go back to uh, to Munster when uh, Colin Mack was the coach for the under-19s and um he approached me to like come back uh, and play with them, and I said, "Geez, yeah, definitely." I, I mean, I was I was going to play with them again, like, um, and then I came back and I played the Interpros, then trained with them for the whole summer, and then we had the Interpros. We won the Interpros that year, um, and then that was kind of just it was normal enough system to everyone else. Then I kind of I played with them for the summer, played the Interpros. Unfortunately, I didn't make the 19s. Um, I didn't make the 19s, and then. Um, my kind of main goal for that thing, uh, after not making the Irish 19 was just make the Irish 20s and that was kind of for when I went to sixth year my goal was to try to get as far as we could in the in the senior cup again like would start and try to play my best rugby in that year and luckily enough like I kind of was lucky with injuries and things and I got a lot of starts and throughout the year like I played I played quite well and then I got into the the Irish uh, 20s team again with the Interpros for the summer and then we got into uh, sorry the Munster 20s and then I got into the Irish 20s then and played the, the Six Nations I was lucky enough to, to start uh, the games in the Six Nations and in the World Cup like so it kind of went all well from there on really 
but I hadn't made any Irish 19s kind of teams, you know, or Irish 18s or anything like that. Like, so my main goal was just to make the Irish 20s. And obviously, I played my, uh, I got my A debut against um, against Ulster and Nate uh, once I didn't make the Irish 19s. So when I was coming out of school in sixth year, that was kind of a nice confidence booster for me. Like, you know, if we pulled in and I was on the bench and that obviously went well and I was kind of, after that then kind of the, the academy contract kind of came and I was delighted with that and when I left school I was kind of straight in training with the seniors and, and uh, that, that's kind of that's kind of the way it went. You go back to not making the Irish 18s and 19s was that a kind of a setback for you at the time or like were you disappointed or what was your attitude towards not getting on, on, on those panels was it just put the head down and work harder? Yeah I suppose like I think Irish 18s kind of just I kind of let that go over my head. I hadn't really thought about it too much just because I hadn't really played a whole pile of rugby and I wasn't, uh, you know, I was kind of in between school and the club system and I kind of got, I kind of fell through the cracks. I thought a bit like, and, but I thought after the getting to the final in, in fifth year and things like that, like I thought I was almost kind of a certain, at least I'd be in the panel for the Irish 19s. I thought I played well that year. Like, so definitely not making the Irish 19s was very disappointing. Like, I just, I remember going to the Irish 19 games. Of course, I was going to go support the lads, like and things like that, like the lads who were playing. But I felt when I walked away from there, like you know, I kind of just I was very disappointed, like, and that was kind of desperate me on then going to sixth year just to make sure, uh, leaving sixth year that I'd be on the Irish, Irish 20s, uh, playing to the World Cup and, and that Six Nations. That that was my main goal, really. That just spurred me on. Like I mean, I was obviously disappointed, but it, it was more of a spurred spurred me on thing rather than put me down, really. You know. If we look at it now, kind of, we, we see you describe Fineen as one of the most kind of promising forwards in the country, and you're still quite young. How do you deal with the with, with the pressure of all that kind of? With all like you're obviously doing fantastic stuff at Munster at the moment, and there's more of a spotlight on you. Kind of, are you the sort of fellow where the pressure just kind of flows off your shoulders? Does it bounce off you, or how do how do you deal with the kind of the greater expectation on you? Uh, yeah, I suppose. Like, I mean, obviously, there's there's articles and there's people saying things and. You know, you just have to take all those things with a pinch of salt. I mean, like you're one of the best players in the country one week and when you play kind of half well and then there's all papers about you. But, you know, the couple of weeks that you're kind of quiet, then you're after, you know, showing down and you're not, you're not playing it well. I mean, you kind of, you kind of just drift into kind of half nobody again, like or whatever. But I wouldn't say it doesn't really put you down or it doesn't really, you know, you just kind of have to just read those things and, and move on from it really because I think if you dwell on them, like it just affects your performance, I feel. Um, but also, like if you do get any good, uh, good articles and things, like I mean, lads will let you know that they bring you back to like you can't really be floating too high. Like I mean, they bring you straight back down. So, uh, a good environment that way. Like you know, you can't really get too carried away because I mean, things change every week, and obviously you get lucky one week and you get lucky another, or you don't get lucky another week. Like performance-wise, like and things like that. Just try to keep, just keep working really. Actually, going to bring up kind of a one match in particular that you're probably sick of hearing at this stage, but it, I think it's going to follow you for your for your whole career. Fanin, we're going to go back to Toman Park, Christmas 2018, Munster against Leinster. A certain Johnny Sexton kind of you got in a tangle early in the game. You really, I think, set the tone in in that game for Munster. And I was actually talking to a former Munster player last year who was so impressed by what you did that day. He said. For a young fella like Finney, he said to stand up and kind of almost lead the way against Leinster that day. He said it, it says a lot about you and it kind of spurred on the rest of the team. So take me back to the Tormund Park that day, yourself and Johnny Sexton, the kind of the couple of seconds in the build up to that. What was going on? Was there a little bit of niggle between, between the two of you? Or? No, it wasn't, it wasn't at all. Like it was for me, like it was just another tackle, but obviously, like it, it was just because I was younger on the team and 
it was probably my first start and there was a bit of expectation, you know, I remember that, that week there was a few articles going around thinking like, you know, I don't know if he's ready and things like that. And, you know, there was probably just a bit of a, you know, a highlight around my name and that's why when there was a bit of a big enough hit or whatever, like, and it was just a tackle. I mean, people just blew it out of proportion. I felt a small bit, but obviously for me, it was just, it was just a kind of a settler, you know, I just, I wanted to try to, as best I could kind of lead the team and try to, you know, just try to get through it as best I could, like, you know, and I thought, after that, then I could nerve when I settled because, of course, I was very, very nervous. Like, you've gone to those games all my life to watch them and watch other lads go and go with the family, and you kind of you enjoy those days, but you never think you're actually going to be there. And I suppose, like, what I tried to do as best I could, and it was just try to grab it with two hands, like, and really kind of embrace it, like, rather than kind of go into my shell. And I don't, I don't, I don't know if I'll ever hear the end of it because I've had so many questions about it. But at the end of the day, like, it was just, it was just a tackle, I and mean, that's what you're supposed to do, like, and. Uh, you know, it was probably just because of Johnny Sexton and he had such a big profile at the time and he had, you know, he obviously uh, got player of the year and things like that that year that there was just a big buzz around it. But no, we had no real, we had no real uh, bad beef after, I hope. Anyway. Um, talk to me about your, your, your season so far this year before obviously COVID-19 has kind of put everything on hold. How would you assess the, your, your development throughout the campaign? Yeah, I've been happy. Like, I mean... Uh, you know, this obviously was this year was my first uh, European start, like, and those days are massive, you know, like being in Home Park and, um, you know, it's nice, it's just nice to get your first start in Europe. But I think overall, I've been lucky, like, I mean, obviously, on, on the downfall for other lads, they've had, there's been a few injuries, like with JK and, and Tyg and stuff, uh, and they've been out for a long time, and that's kind of given me a bit of a window to get a few starts in, you know, and, um, I think I've been happy. I've been happy overall, but it's been kind of a steady season for me personally. I thought, like, I think as a squad, we're quite, we're going quite well, and uh, we're building nicely. You know, we're building really well. So it was kind of disappointing with obviously uh, the coronavirus and all this kind of stuff. You know, it's stopping it uh, and we're stopping training and kind of, kind of kills our momentum a small bit. But um, I mean, we were we were going well, and I thought like we were kind of building nicely uh, for the end of the season. But let's just see what happens, really. You're 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 um you're back home like you were telling us earlier. How would you keep yourself ticking along through all this kind of lockdown? Are you training away at home? How are you? How are you passing the time? Yeah, I mean, look, I'm lucky enough. Uh, I'm not luckier than other lads. I mean, obviously, uh, being down in West Cork is a good bit of space around us, and uh, we've got a nice field to run in and things like that. And I'm lucky because Josh, Josh is also doing the same training as me, so we can train away together. We can do a bit of passing and. Uh, we've been, got a few gin things set up here, and, and we've got we're kind of working kind of well set up. Like you know, obviously it's, we're missing the kind of environment of training with the lads, whatever, and we can kind of become monotonous, like the same kind of training, same kind of running and stuff. But you just try to change it up as best you can, and kind of keep yourself busy, easy, like you know. And um, what I'm looking forward to getting back to it's the same thing. You know, I'm enjoying being home, and I'm enjoying uh, the environment here and training yourself, and kind of pushing yourself at home. But it's you know just the feeling of back in the team environment. I'm looking forward to that too. You mentioned Josh there, and I kind of mentioned earlier the likes of Liam Coombs, Gavin Coombs, Darren Sweet, and um, John Hodness, Jack Crowley at the moment. Um, I suppose Laura Sheehan and Inya Green on the women's side. The, the, the growth of, of West Cork rugby in the last couple of years, Finn, has been nothing short of phenomenal. Um, I know it's it's not as easy as kind of attributing attributing it to just one thing, but what you put it down to the sudden kind of I suppose explosion of rugby in West Cork. I don't know. I suppose every every time we talk, you know, it is also there's always two or three lads after pushing on, and the list is just getting longer. Who, how many people are really pushing into the team in, in the girls' side and also the men's side, you know? And uh, I suppose it's just it's just down to the amount of people who are playing. I think I think just obviously 
the ratio is higher. If there's more people training, more people playing, there's going to be more people play for Munster and maybe pushing on in the sport. Like, you know, and uh, as I was saying earlier, like, um, back in my time, like, there was very, very little, you know, training and playing. But nowadays, I mean, there's way more people, you know, and there's, and there's even, a, there's kind of almost a, a move across the rugby from the GA at the moment. Anyway, like, you know, there's, there's a massive following. And I suppose, obviously, with our success and uh, even, like, Leinster's success as well, you know, people watching, you know, know big big teams playing well and Munster playing well and 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 uh seeing these players who can come from uh someone like Darren Sweetenham or even Gav and Liam there coming from Skibreen uh and becoming this kind of uh player on the TV and watching them play well and getting man of the matches and scoring tries and celebrating in a big crowd I mean people just kind of thrive off that and I suppose young people nowadays are just they're eager to be like be like those like like Darren Sweetenham and Gav and Liam and things like that, like in Exor's man gives them a bit of hope almost uh, coming from a small place in, in the in the country uh, like West Cork that you can still uh, play for Munster and play for Ireland and um, and things like that, you know. You made a great point there, Fanny, like for what you've done, you've shown it's possible, like you said there, for for young boys and girls from West Cork to kind of to, to play on the big stage, whether it's Munster or Ireland and so on. But what's important too, I think, is there's some great people involved in West Cork rugby. rugby. We talked about Eugene McCarthy earlier, like he's done super stuff for, for Benji rugby. And we're, we're quite looking in West Cork that there's great people in a lot of our, our local clubs and they played a huge role in all of this as well. Yeah, I mean, when I, when I was younger, I know, I know you just training, he's, he's still very much a part of it. Like, but I mean, only for him sometimes, you know, you don't know where, if, you, if you'd be there, like, you know, he kind of push you on, like, and he was very, very... Uh, interactive with us like you know he'd always kind of take us for extras and if he thought you needed to improve on something he'd let you know and like you know there's there's many parts of the country that they don't have those kind of people who are hungry to make you better like you know because obviously training a young team you can either be very enthusiastic and interactive with them or you can kind of fall into this thing where you kind of just get through the training session you don't really mind if they play well or they play poorly it's just kind of being involved but to actually push on and be better at the sport like you need to give them constructive criticism and you need to be interactive with them you know and I think at the moment I think at the moment uh, Damien Hicks is doing the underage training I think he's the exception as well I've, I've been out to training sessions with the young people and it's just excellent to see almost kind of you know how, how training has expanded and how they're kind of pushing themselves at a younger age for their passing their passing is way better than it was when I was that age their, their contact their you know their communication their enjoyment and it is probably even better than it was back in those days like you know so um I suppose we are we are very lucky, like in in this part of the country, that we have uh, very motivated coaches and very motivated parents to to really encourage them to be better at sport and play sport, like and be active. You know, what's the best bit of advice you got when you were a kid? Uh, I suppose the best the advice that I've got as a kid, it's just I think probably ask. I always found it difficult to ask questions, you know, and, and probably just put myself out there. I always found it difficult to do that, but I. Uh, I remember I was at a meeting before and, you know, they said, like, you know, what's what's the worst that can happen? Like, you're not going to, you know, no question is stupid. Like, you know, if you don't understand something, just ask. And there's actually a lot more people out there to help than you actually think, you know, and you kind of fall into this, oh, geez, I can't ask a question or I can't, you know, it's probably stupid to ask a question, but it's not, like, no question is stupid. And there's way more people out there to help you rather than not help you. Like, you know, there's more people that want to see you do well than put you down. Like, so I just, what I would say is just kind of, ask questions and ask for help if you need it because there's actually more people that want to see you do well than want you to do, see you poorly like you know or don't want you to succeed there's way more people that want you to succeed and do well 
in the community. When you finally, when you get back on the rugby field, whenever that will be, what's the hope going and targets for you in the next couple of years? What are you, what are you hoping to do? Ash, I, I think just probably for me, the short term goal is just improve on, uh, improve on me and my my sport. Like and try to try to you know improve my skills and and then get the best out of myself. But probably from a team point of view, I just want to bring as much as I can to Munster and bring as much as I can to the team. And uh, gradually, kind of uh, build myself up to be kind of a starter in the rugby team, of course, like which is every player's goal. Like, and ultimately, whatever happens after that happens. Like, I suppose, uh, first of all, I just I want to be kind of a, a starter in, in the monster in the monster squad, like, and, and then go from there. You know, do you actually feel you're very close to cementing that position as a starter, or be one of those first names on the team sheet? For you? how close are you to that? I hope so. Like, you know, I think I'm probably still a bit young yet, like, or whatever. I think I can. I can over the next probably you know a couple of months when we get back, like I just have to see where I'm at compared to other lads, and and uh, obviously I've worked hard for this window, try to be back in back in the best shape and in the best physical shape as I can, and um, there's probably a few improvements. I'm still kind of a bit fresh to the game. I know I've got a few caps, but I I probably haven't got a, as many starts as I want, like you know to really push on. And I think like ultimately those games, like the starts against Osprey's, I learned a lot about myself in Europe and. Uh, you know, those are the games you want to play. Like you want to be starting in the big game in Home Park and uh, and really be pushing yourself there and testing yourself because sometimes coming off the bench you kind of get a false hope. You know, it's a bit different. You know, it's something like the wrestling game where I came off 15, 20 minutes and you feel great, but you realise like you know, in 80 minutes compared to 15 or 20 minutes is totally different to Europe. And I think that's where you properly test yourself by getting to that starting team and I'll see where I'm properly at. You know. No doubt, kind of seeing how far you've come in the last couple of years. You've no doubt you'll be there for for a long, long time to come. Fanny, come here. Thank you so much for giving us your time and stay safe. And we'll talk to you again soon. No problem. Take care and uh, cheers for me on. Thanks for listening to the Star Sport Podcast, the only podcast dedicated to all things sport in West Cork. Don't forget to pick up this Thursday Southern Star newspaper, including our award-winning sports section with everything a West Cork sports fan could want. In shops across West Cork and online from anywhere in the world via www.southernstar.ie forward slash e-paper. The Southern Star and the Star Sport Podcast. Number one for sport in West Cork. Welcome back to the Star Sport Podcast. And before we wrap up this week's Edition, Kieran, you're going to tell us what we can expect to read in this week's Southern Star Sports Section. Yeah, Jack, um, another action-packed sports section on our way on Thursday morning. And I'm actually really excited about this piece. Um, when I was told about a former Arsenal trainee who played one season with Adjago GA back in 2007, it, it perked my interest. So I um, tracked down Wayne O'Sullivan. Um, he's, he's living in England. And to talk about that one season, like I said, 2007, when he came to Adrigal, that rural Vera GA club, and played with him for the year. It's just a fascinating story how a former Arsenal trainee who was in the same um, group as Justin Hoyes and Sebastian Larsson, the Swedish international, and David Bintley was the year um, ahead of him in Arsenal. And he was in the same group, actually, as Stephen Bradley um, from Irish soccer. So to find out... Exactly, yeah, to find out how Wayne O'Sullivan played with Adjigold, what his links were, and it turns out his father, Patrick O'Sullivan, is, is an Adjigold man. So um, just a great chat to see how the move came about, how he came from the world of professional soccer and how he took to the GEA 
and I discovered so much throughout the chat. He actually played with London um, as well, and he he would have loved to come back to play with Adrigal um, after 2007, but it didn't work out. So um, just a good chat, a really interesting interview, and I think people will really enjoy it. So that's a big interview with Wayne O'Sullivan in Thursday's Southern Star. Also, um, it's 10 years since Mercy Heights Gibberine won an All-Ireland School Senior C football title, and I've caught up with um, Maureen O'Driscoll and Grania O'Sullivan of that team just to talk about that that great year for um, for Mercy Heights. Um, Mercy Heights doesn't exist anymore when the three schools in Skibreen amalgamated a couple of years ago. So that's the only football in Ireland that that school ever won. And it's just a great story as well and a great tale. So that's a, another good one in this week's uh, Southern Star. We have an interview with Carter Rangers and Cork footballer John O'Rourke and his thoughts on, on the GACs at the moment, what will happen and the feasibility of the season coming back online. Um, Dennis Hurley is a super interview with Tony Davis of Skibbereen and Cork football fame, just about his own football memories growing up in West Cork and so on. And it's just interesting to know too, um, on social media a couple of months back, there was a lot of love for Tony when he announced he was um, retiring from the guards. But it turns out, Jack, he was pulled back into the guards again because of the COVID-19 crisis. So his retirement plans have been put on hold. So he chats to Dennis about that. So it's a good, good interview by Dennis Hurley with Tony Davis. And this is one now that will make us kind of feel inadequate again, Jack. And that's a feeling the two of us share a lot when we talk to, to West Cork's great and good um, sports people Ross Carberry, Sinead O'Regan did a fundraiser for Pieta House last week and it's a charity very close to her heart because um, she she knows, I suppose, better than most kind of the, the work that Pieta House does. So what she did, she set herself a challenge of doing seven different physical activities over seven days, starting from her 32nd birthday on Sunday, May 3rd, right through to last Saturday on, on Sunday, May 9th. Um, Sinead, is, like I said, from Ross Carberry, she's a well-known physio for a lot of local GA teams with the Carberry Hurlers with Ben Lascarty GA Club um, she's been Carberry Rangers physio for several years and part of her challenge she climbed the equivalent of Karen Tuchel inside in her sitting room on the Wednesday which was um, at a 20 inch, inch step she went up and down that that step 2,050 times in the space of two and a half hours um, just to climb, climb the equivalent of Karen Tuchel and then on the Saturday, to finish off, she decided to walk 100,000 steps in the day, um, which is an incredible amount of, of steps to walk. And she kind of got up at 3.30 in the morning and she started walking and all within the five kilometre radius of her home in uh, in, in Ross Carberry. So great stuff by Sinead O'Regan. Um, I felt so inadequate talking to her, Jack. Kind of, I, I wouldn't get out of my own shadow at the moment. And then there was this one here in, in, in Ross Carberry doing... 10k laps of her house on a Wednesday afternoon while also working as a physiotherapist um, in CUH so incredible stuff by Sinead and she raised over 8,000 for Pieta House so we've heard story in this week's um, Southern Star along with a lot more so great value there and in, in shops and online from this Thursday. Yeah as Kieran mentioned the Southern Star will be available to purchase in shops across West Cork and beyond from Thursday morning and if you can't make it to the shops for any reason just go on to www.southernstar.ie forward slash e-paper and you can read the Southern Star on your computer, tablet or smartphone for less than two euro per week and Kieran, you mentioned your feelings of inadequacy just now how, how has your 
exercise in lockdown been going have you been getting out for walks have you taken back up the running have you beaten your children in basketball basketball whatever the sport you you you, you claim to have created at the beginning of this whole circus basket basket hyphen ball hasn't been played in a couple of weeks now to be honest but um it's mostly just walking jack to be honest my myself and my infinitely better half we go for a walk nearly every night um just a nice kind of seven eight k walk every night just to kind of just it's just good for the head after i suppose all this work from home at the moment so that's about it i will get back into the running again um kind of want to get back doing five k's and ten k's again my half marathon days are 100% over. There is not a hope in this earthly world that you will find me running a half marathon ever again. And we're going to settle for 5Ks and, and 10Ks at the moment. But it's just about getting a bit of exercise. Um, and at the moment, it's it's just walking. But we'll kind of ramp that up in the I suppose the next couple of weeks. But um, how about yourself, Jack? You've a, you've, you've a gym built out the back of here. Uh, ah, well, we just cleared out a garage and put in a few weights and a boxing bag and uh, just kind of something to... Uh, to, to take a break from going for walks because like yourself I've been going for about three walks a day I have a dog here so it's nice to be able to just go into the garage and um, lift a few weights and punch the punch the boxing bag so yeah but it's it it can get tiresome at times you know sometimes I'm sure you feel the same you you, you pick up a bit of energy for a few days and you go mad into it and you say I'm going to do this now for the next for, until lockdown is over and then it's kind of slink back in when you realise there is no end in sight it's hard to 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 keep it up but uh i what most of what takes up my time is my infinitely better half as well has utilized me being around the house every day so i've actually painted the exterior of her house i mow her grass once a week i built a flower bed so yeah i am being put to good use and yeah like it's a great time actually to get all those household chores done kind of we're the same i've only two rooms left in the house to paint um we're kind of down to the last two rooms so I've been kind of quite busy with that as well and kind of I can't wait for the garden centres to open because I have these grand plans in my head I, I can picture a, a trellis and these climbing plants in, in, the, in the back garden and stuff and um, picking up a, a new garden bench our old garden bench has seen a lot better days so I have a lot of kind of DIY jobs to get it in the next couple of weeks and the good thing too Jack we're almost finished the third season of, of Ozark and that'll actually free up more time we've only three episodes left to watch and what a show kind of it's been superb and the last dance has kept me quite busy as well like that's an incredible i think um kind of sports documentary as well and obviously michael jordan even though i some see some people aren't too happy with it um i think they could get gone more in depth in certain areas but as an insight into the bulls back in the 90s i think it's been brilliant and, and an insight into to michael jordan and you just learn what a competitor he was incredible. anyone anyone who says that as well is a total dork like you know um it's all these uh, <laughs> Joe, holier than thou journalists on social media who say, um, oh, it should have been more uh, in, you know, whatever they say, I don't know. But, like, it's a Netflix documentary series. It's an entertainment mm-hmm. television show. As tons of people have said, I'm not the first person to say it, it's not a Ken Burns-directed insight into Jordan's Bulls. It's a Michael Jordan-produced entertainment series for Netflix. It's mass market stuff. So these dorks on social media saying, "Ah, oh, could have been more insightful." Like, get over yourselves. It's one of the most entertaining documentary sports series that has ever been released. But we might as well wrap it up for this week. Don't forget. Well, actually, you might be maybe join us later in the week when we'll do Kieran and Jack's Home and Garden podcast. We're considering launching a new one where we'll give you tips on how to to grow 
vegetables in the garden paint houses uh, etc but in all seriousness we will be back next week where we're going to be launching best in the west our search for west cork's greatest ever sports person of the last 50 years <laughs> so thanks for listening to this edition of the star sport podcast we'll be back at some stage next week we're not totally sure of what time yet if you enjoy these shows, please make sure to rate, review and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, Acast, Stitcher or wherever else you listen to the show.